Welcome back to Round Trip Death and Part 2 of Vinny's incredible near-death experience. If you haven't yet listened to Part 1, which is Episode 301, I highly recommend starting there, then come back to this one. In Part 1, we heard about Vinny's death, how he was actually placed in a body bag and on his way to the morgue. A courageous EMT heard and felt a voice saying, This one's not dead. During Vinny's extensive NDE, he learned so many things about the spirit world. Then he audibly heard a voice back in his hospital room, praying and pronouncing a blessing on his body. Let's pick it up from there. And as I was feeling and experiencing this love, out of nowhere, I start hearing a prayer or a blessing being said over my body. And now granted, I didn't, I didn't have any recollection at this point of what was going on with my body at all. I had completely left the body. I was having my whole heaven experience. I get this hug from Drake. As I'm getting the hug, I actually hear a blessing being given to my body in the hospital. And I hear it as loud as if someone's speaking right into my ear. And it's my brother's voice. And he's, he's there on earth giving my, my body a blessing. And as he's saying this special prayer over my body, he's, he, he blesses me to be whole, that I will be made whole. And I could feel, I could feel the tremendous amount of love that my brother had for me, which was, which was odd for me because me and my brother were two years apart, but we, we've always been very close in size through our whole life. And so growing up, we had, a little bit of a rougher upbringing because we were always in competition with each other. And out of nowhere, I, I understood that my brother really loved me and loved me more than I could ever know. And that not only was I feeling my brother's love, I was feeling God's love from heaven's side. And I went from, from this experience of this hug to hearing the blessing. And then as, as I heard amen to this, this prayer, I was pulled. I was yanked away from where I was completely pulled away from where I was. And, and I was forced back into my body. Now this all happened at, at nine, nine thirty, ten 10 o'clock at night that my brother gave me the blessing and gave me, did that special prayer over me. But, um, I came into my body at one eleven. So, so from that time of, of about 9 30 10 p.m and 1 11 in the morning is when i i woke up and tore everything off me at 1 11 in the morning um <clears throat> i was done as soon as i woke up now this is the weirdest part about the whole experience i i woke up not remembering anything i didn't even remember leaving my house on the morning that i was going to go to the auto show i had a lot of like blank space in my mind. So I, I woke up to not knowing how I got there. I didn't know what day it was. I just knew I was in a hospital, a hospital I didn't recognize. And um, I knew that I was extremely claustrophobic, like to the extreme. I had never felt claustrophobia before like this or, or really ever. I used to go, um, you know, go through caves and such, but but since this experience, I am extreme, like really bad, bad claustrophobia because the energetic body or the spirit body is so much larger than our physical bodies here. It is. 
our spirit body is so much larger to come back into this physical form is, is it feels like trying to get a, a blue whale to fit in a can of tuna. It just, you've, you're, you're doing the impossible essentially, but that's what happened. I came back and, and I felt extremely claustrophobic. I yanked everything off me. Um, the report said, you know, everything went flatline at one eleven in the morning because that's when I yanked everything off me. And I had tubes literally coming out of my mouth, out of my nose. I had a catheter in, I had all sorts of, uh, IVs in me. I yanked everything off of me, everything. And I just stood there in the hospital room naked. I couldn't even have clothes touch me. I just stood there naked for a few moments and just taking deep breaths. I just stood there and just, just breathed deeply, trying to understand what was going on, why I felt so sick and claustrophobic. And then I realized, oh, crap, you're naked um, and you're in a public space. <laughs> so I went and grabbed a, a hospital gown uh, and wrapped it around my waist. Then I, I decided that I wanted to go home. I didn't know how I was going to get home, but I wanted to go home. I didn't want to be there anymore. Okay, hold on, hold on. At some point, a nurse or medic, some medical person had to have walked in and seen like Lazarus just got up from the grave. The funny thing is they didn't see me until I made it all the way to the elevator without them knowing because what had happened is they were doing their rounds. So the, there was two nurses there at the time. They were doing their rounds in the rooms when I pulled all that stuff off me. So they weren't hearing the alarms yet. Now, after the alarms have gone on for a little bit, they get louder, I guess, or something like that, where as they were doing their rounds, they heard the alarm. They went and checked the room that the alarm was coming from. Then they went and actually checked the room. And in that process, the one nurse first goes in and she screams. Then the other nurse comes running over. She goes in. They're, they're frantically looking around. They think that maybe somebody snatched a body because this guy was in a coma. This body was in a, in a true coma, so much so that they'd given uh, information to my brother and my dad about palliative care, about, about someone who's a vegetable for the rest of their life. They, they really thought I was going to be a vegetable for the rest of my life. Sure. And, and so they're, they're looking around thinking somebody snatched a body, like literally took a body. And as they're looking, they see this guy like standing naked, just holding a gown around his waist at the elevator and I'm sitting there like hitting the down button, down button. And, um, and then they both screamed and, and I knew as soon as they both screamed, I just knew, and it was weird. I knew, I knew so much about these two nurses. I don't know how I knew about it, but, but I just knew so much about them. And I knew that they were both going to get in so much trouble if I left. So I needed to come back. So I did, I, I went back and they actually got a security guard and he, he kind of babysat me for a little bit, wouldn't let me leave the room. I'll bet they had special journal entries that night. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> of like, you won't believe what happened last night. What's funny, though, is um, I, could, I wouldn't allow them to put anything back on me. They wanted to put oxygen on me. They wanted to put um, the catheter back in. They wanted to do all this. Stuff. I'm like, no. I'm like, look at me. I'm fine. And, and they, they kept telling me that I was going to go back into a coma that there is this freak thing that someone will come out of a coma for a moment and then they go back under and usually die. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm here. I'm back. Yeah. They didn't fully trust that. So that I did have to sign paperwork from 
from about one <laughs> one eleven in the morning until about seven a.m. I was signing paperwork and I was meeting meeting with specialists. So I I met with specialists solid consistently as the specialists would show up for the day. I would meet with them, uh, you know, first shift. And I'll tell you, it was crazy all morning long meeting with these specialists. They, every single one of them would ask me all the same questions. Do I know who I am? Do I know what year it is? Do I know what year I graduated? Do I know what my birthday is? Do I know where I live? Like simple questions that, that everybody's going to know the answer to, but all of the experts wanted those questions answered. And then some, and some of the experts, they wanted me to get some they wanted me to do an MRI. They wanted me to do a CATS, like all these different scans. And, and I felt fine. I felt completely fine. I did, I did allow him to do some, some check on my, uh, on my heart. Um, I allowed him to do a, a couple of scans, but I felt totally fine, you know? And so I just kept telling them, I'm fine. I can go. I want, I feel like I can go. And uh, finally, you know, after signing a phone book full of paperwork, I was able to allow um, myself to get checked out. They wouldn't let me obviously leave, leave. I would, I'd have to have somebody come pick me up. So I, I did get a hold of my dad that morning. I called my brother first, but he was, um, he didn't answer. So I ended up getting a hold of my dad and my dad came and picked me up. So that very day you went home. Yep. That very day, that very morning. That, that blows me away too, because they wanted to, they wanted to hold me for minimum 24 hours. They, sure. they actually wanted to hold me for 72 hours, but they wanted a minimum of 24 hours just to make sure I wasn't going to relapse and go back into a coma. But I, you know, I left fully knowing that that was a possibility, but to me, it wasn't a possibility because I was awake. I was fine. And in fact, within an hour of my dad, my dad took me home to my place and I, I went jogging. I literally went jogging. Like, uh, I was such a fitness nut back then. Um, I felt like I had to, and, and it really felt good because it felt like I was getting out of that claustrophobia that I was feeling. And it helped me actually yeah. quite a bit to, to go jogging that day. Yeah. Okay. I have so many questions, but the first thing is that why this part of it blows me away so much is because other people that I've talked to that have been clinically dead for a minute or six minutes or some even 10 minutes, which is a long time your physical body starts deteriorating when that happens. It does. When your heart and everything stops, it, it's almost like, you know, if you take a piece of raw hamburger out of the refrigerator, it starts decaying and your body does the same thing. It starts decaying and because your organs are all shut down, all these bad things are happening, let alone what's going on in your brain without oxygen to it. Yeah, this is um, beyond miraculous. Not only that you came back, but that you were healthy that fast is crazy. Yeah, like, well, I did have three days to kind of get my body straight, you know, and I think that's why I was allowed to be away from my body because that was probably a pretty rough process, you know, getting my body back to life. Um, but you know, since then, I actually I, I met a really cool guy. I've lost contact with them since, but. Um, I worked with a guy that was awakened in the morgue. He he woke up like four days after his death in the morgue, and um, and they were they were about to perform his autopsy, and he woke up. Have him call me. We need to talk. <laughs> and you know what's funny? He I I was like, no way, because I told him about my experience, and he's like, he's like, oh, you think three days is good? I was 
I was actually four days in the morgue before I woke up and he showed me the scar when he woke up. Um, they had to, they had already started to open up his chest cavity for his autopsy. And so he has the scar of, of the full cut when they do an autopsy, they, they fully open you up. So, so there's some really neat cases out there where, where if it's not your time to go and, and God wants to send you back, you come back. You know, you're not limited by, by the physical realm at all. Well, we, we keep being reminded of that, don't we? Yeah. Can I start on some of my questions? Absolutely. Okay. I don't want to cut you off in any way, shape, or form because <laughs> this is fascinating. And I'm picturing you jogging out there, hopefully over to your brother's house. What was that reunion like? So um, I didn't. I still didn't remember it was him who brought me back yet. So this all happened. I was back for a full day um, and the, and full back a full day and a half when, um, my sister, she wanted to take, take me and my brother out to dinner and my, and, and so we all met at a, a wingers actually. Um, and we were in this, this restaurant and my sister kind of cornered me. Everybody got their dinners or, or we ordered our dinners. We were waiting for them. And as we were waiting, she's, she's like, Hey, you know, she calls me Todd because that's my middle name. She's always called me Todd. She's like, Todd, come here, come here. She kind of pulled me over to the corner. And she's like, you know, you were dead, right? And I'm like, yeah, that's what everybody tells me. And, and she's, she's like, did you have a near-death experience? Did you see anything? Did you experience anything? And it is so weird because at this, po- at this moment, I had been asked that like 10 times already. And I had, I, every single time I'm like, I don't think so. I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything from this period forward. Um, I remembered a little bit of what was going on that Saturday morning that I died, but I didn't remember anything else, even to getting to the Dairy Queen or anything. And when she asked me this, my, my brain formed the words, no, like, no, I didn't have an experience. And I went to say the word, no, but what came out of me was my was an entire download of my experience the entire experience and 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 it's almost as if it was already there but the the doorway that was blocking it got opened by her asking that question and i just started to bawl i literally started to cry and i'm not i'm a i you know i was a a much tougher guy than i am now i'm still kind of a tough guy but i'm telling you like I, I'm, I don't, I'm not a public crier and never have been, but I started to just weep like a little baby because I, I started to feel again, that love that was there for, for all of us. And I explained to her that I had a guy that his name is Drake and that he, he was, he helped me through so much and he, he helped me come back. And that's when I realized that it was my brother who had, who had brought me back and he was there. And I couldn't even look at my brother after that. I couldn't, because even looking at him, I would just cry because I, I feel that love, you know, and, and it was such a beautiful thing, but it's such a scary thing too, because now all of a sudden this whole experience was real to me, you know, and, and I'm still this analytical guy. So what do I do? I go and, and meet with a, a, a couple of professionals I meet with one. He says he can't help me that he doesn't know what to do to help me, but he, he refers me to this other professional. I go to this other professional and he says, okay, so here's, we have a a perfect case of delusion. 
you know, because your, your brain was starved of oxygen. So it just makes up all this stuff to fill up the space. He says, it's totally normal. I'm going to put you on these, these medicines. And here's the, the weird part. So after my sister asked me if I had a near death experience, I started to understand why I knew things about other people that I shouldn't know. And this is a symptom that a lot of people have after they come back from one of these experiences. And I just knew some things about this doctor. I knew some things about his childhood that I shouldn't know. And so I, I had a very strong premonition. I had a, I had spirit or, or, you know, spirit energy telling me I needed to share these these knowledges about this, this doctor before I took a prescription from him. So I did, I said, well, you might think I'm crazy, but I need to share this with you. And I, I flat out told him about some stuff about his childhood and uh, he freaked out. He freaked out. He cussed at me and said, get out of my office. And so I left and even his secretary, the, his nurse, you know, the, the secretary that was there, she's, she's like, what did you say? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I just said what, what, I can't, what I felt was truth. And so I left. And um, a couple of minutes later, I get a phone call from that doctor. And he said, he said this exactly. He said, you know, Vinny, what you told me was something I had even forgotten had happened. And he said, it scared me so much because there's no rules around that can explain what happened to you and how you could have known that there's no rules. He said, there's no book that can explain that. And he said, I work in the realm of learning from books and helping people from what I learned. And he said, there's nothing I've ever learned that can help you or explain what just happened. He said, but I know this for sure that if you knew that, that what you experienced must be real. I want you to, do the best you can, but I don't think taking medicines is the right route. And I agreed. I was like, yeah, I agree. And, and it was a, it was my first confirmation that what I had experienced was not necessarily a delusion that it was, a, it was possibly a real thing. Um, now later, you know, later, a few months later, this all happened in January, my whole experience. I met with that doctor in February and then um, come all the way to that July I'm at a family reunion with my fiance and, and uh, I had met her since my experience. We're sitting at this family reunion at this little play in Afton, Wyoming. And this play is doing a, a, a presentation on the history of the town of Afton, Wyoming and, and who the founders were, who were the first clergy in town and all this stuff. And up comes this picture and I'm kind of cold. I, I don't want to be there. I'm, I'm, I, I'm kind of tired. And all of a sudden I get this very strong change of energy in my wife or my fiance. And, and I look to her and I, and she says to me, she goes, is that your guide? And cause I, I had, you know, shared my experience with her and I, I had told her, you know, what had happened to me. And I had shared my experience of Drake and who my guide was. And she she was looking at this image on the screen of, of this little play and she felt that was him. So I, I looked from her and I turned to look to see the screen and there he was. It was my guide. It was my guide, like the very man who had helped me through the whole process. 
But what was weird is his name on the photo. It said, it said Charles Kazare. And, and I thought, well, that was odd. I, you know, his name is Drake, I thought. And that was the only thing that didn't link up. And um, the very next day I went to my grandmother um, who was alive at the time. And I, I asked her, I said, do you know anything about Charles Kazare? And she goes, Oh, great grandpa Drake. Yeah. I know about him. <laughs> and, and it was her great, great grandfather. Um, and he went by Drake, even though uh, his name was Charles. He, Drake was his middle name. So he went by Drake because I guess his father was Charles or something like that, but, but he went by Drake. So it was just really neat. Um, that was uh, an additional confirmation for me that, that what I had experienced was something more than I could have ever imagined or made up or anything. Yeah. That is so cool. And that was one of my questions is who do you think Drake is? And, and that's so, so cool that you found out who that is. I wonder how your wife recognized him. Well, it, it was an energetic thing for sure. She's, she's always, um, you know, if you, if you get the book and read about it, I talk a lot about how I met Andrea, my wife. And, and one of the ways I noticed her is I, I could see in her eyes, I could feel that, that energy of heaven in there. I really could. I could see just the, the unconditional um, love that God has for all of us. I could see that in her eyes. And, and that's something that she's always been very synced up with is heaven. And, um, and so I think that not only did she see it, but she felt it. And that's why she, she brought it up. She was like, is that your guide? But I'd been, you know, I'd been talking to her, you know, in very intimate moments, just really going over my experience with her. So she, see, she essentially knew the whole experience. I, I couldn't get into so much detail because it was still so fresh. I would just start to cry every time. Um, but you know, in between those sessions of, of me starting to cry and I couldn't talk anymore, she was able to get a lot of the story and get a lot of the experience out of me. So she knew it very well. She also knew I had described Drake so much that when she saw the picture, she was like, is that your guide? Is that Drake? <laughs> and it was just really cool. It was really cool that she could recognize him. Um, but yeah, when I, when I did see him though, I couldn't speak. I couldn't even say, yeah, that's him. I just froze. I literally froze. It was already a kind of a chilly night, even though it was in July. Um, it was a little chilly, but I'll tell you what, I froze. And she knew, she knew just from my reaction, that was him. She knew. Yeah. That is so, so cool. In fact, we left, we left right after that because I, I just, I started to break yeah. down again. <laughs> so on this show, we, we don't really talk about specific religions um, whether good, bad, or indifferent. Um, and, but some people have voluntarily told me after their experience, they talked to their minister, pastor, whoever was over their congregation about their experience. And, and some of those people um, gave them a really hard time about it because maybe it didn't match up with their theology exactly. Did you have an experience like that? So it's funny. I've never had a problem with any of the clergy. So um, of the church I go to, um, I've never had any problem with the clergy, but the members. But it's really funny. Um, I'm I'm Christian, and and you know, in in my faith, there's I've always felt there's two aspects to my faith. There's the gospel side, 
the side that really follows the scriptures and follows Christ. Um, and then there's the ego side and the ego side represents everyone looking at each other, judging what they're doing and judging who's sinners and who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, that kind of thing that represents the ego side. And it's only people who are very embodied in the ego side of the church that have a hard problem with, with my experience. And they have a very hard problem. All, all you have to do is go um, read, read any negative reviews I have on Amazon. You can see it's the ego side of my own faith that, that writes those negative reviews. And I don't, and I know it's, it's part of life and I, I'm not judging them in any way, shape or form. I love every bit of who they are. And, and there's, there's, there's gotta be a divine reason why they, they really embody the ego of the church. But I'm telling you, the Christ-centered part of the church is beautiful to me. Um, at the same time, when I got to heaven, I looked around thinking I was going to see, it was, it was going to be like a big reunion of all the different um, branches of the church I'd been in my whole life, you know, thinking I was going to see all these people I knew who had passed, and I didn't. Now, I'm sure they, they're there in their own way, but I'm telling you, I saw all these different religions in that space. And I saw that, that at least the university side that I was in, this beautiful side of heaven, that there was all different cultures there, all different religions there, that there wasn't just Christians, you know? And, and part of what I did experience is, you know, when we get to heaven, if we, if we have prejudice towards any other religion, we get to our own version of heaven that's still distant from God. Because for us to embody God's love, we can't have prejudice at all. We cannot have prejudice at all. I mean, we can't have prejudice against lifestyle. We can't have prejudice against religion. We can't, because here's the thing, any prejudice we embody, we, we actually are going to put on our own self three times stronger. And that was a, a very strong thing I learned there. That, and that's the only people that ever really have a hard time with me. Is, is those who exist in the ego space. And I, and I don't default them for it. That's their truth. And, and I honor them in their truth. If, if their truth is that, that my experience is, is um, falseness, then, then, then that's their truth. I want them to, to be glorified in their own truth. The one thing is I didn't, I didn't publish my story to make money. I didn't publish my story to, um, to, to do this as a business or, or anything like that. I did this because for 15 years, people have literally harassed me after I told my story. Why don't you have a book? Why don't you share this? This is so important you share this. And um, I, I felt that calling my whole life, but it took a long time for me to actually get the words right. Because this, this whole experience is not something that, that you can use words to describe. So I did have to take some really good help um, uh, essentially from my, my co-author Lynn, uh, together, we worked on this for years, literally years so that we could actually get the words right. So that what he was writing down and what I was experiencing matched each other. And he did an amazing job. And we had some very, very good help, um, helping us edit it, get it the right way so that, um, it matched my experience. And, uh, and it, you know, it's not meant for everybody and I don't put it out there for everybody, but for those who need it, it really resonates with them. It does. And it helps a lot of people that are a little confused right now, even in their own faith. Um, and it is multi-faith. You don't have to be Christian. You don't have to be any of these things to read this book. Um, now what's cool though, is 
whatever faith lane you find yourself in, I would say most people who read it, they gain a stronger faith in their own lane. They're able to strengthen their faith in, in their belief system that they have and get connected to God. And that's all it's all about for me is, is I want you as the individual to have the best connection you can with God, period, the best possible connection. And that's my purpose for putting this story out there is to just help those who are ready for it. Now, it's not for everybody, but those who are ready for it, it, it does really resonate with them. And I've gotten time after time for every one bad review, I'll get, you know, um, probably 90 or 95 good reviews of people saying this has changed my life. So, um, I really, uh, I, I'm so grateful to God for allowing me back. Number one, um, even though there's times I feel that was kind of a curse because heaven is amazing and beautiful and so, so awesome. Um, but so is life here. And, and, uh, I know I'm back here for a reason. And so that's, that's why I put it out there. That's why, uh, yeah, I put it out for, for those who are ready to, to listen, for those ears that are ready to hear and those hearts that are ready to feel it. It's, it's a great story for them, a great experience that I got to share with them. But yeah, I, I don't get harassed too much on it, but I, I do a little bit just with some of the members. The name of the book, by the way, since you're not plugging it, is The Light After Death by Vincent Tolman. Send me a copy, Vinny. Okay, I will actually. Okay. I'll send you a copy. I appreciate it. A couple more questions, then I'll let you go. You, I thought it was so interesting that you referred to your body in very much in the third person. You called it the body. Why is that? <laughs> it's because my body was where I was, you know, and and I was sitting there watching it outside of me. So that wasn't my body. That was the body. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's it's just kind of like if you're even if you're sitting there playing a video game or I'm not a gamer at all, but but I'll tell you, if you're sitting there playing a video game, you're looking at your character play. That's not you, right? You is right here with the controller in your hand. And that's what I felt like. Even once I recognized that it was my body, I still felt like it was the body. Because who I was, was the and is, who I am, is this eternal spiritual being that lives beyond the body. So truly, the body is still the body to me now because it's it's the vehicle I drive while I'm here um but I'm not here forever and I'm grateful for that because forever is a long time and a beautifully long time I want to be where where God wants me and that's that's in a grander better amazing space Have you had a chance to meet that EMT that worked with you? I did. Would he mind if we mentioned his name? So I I don't uh I don't release that because uh, here's, here's the thing. I need his permission to do so. And I've lost track of him over the years, but I'll tell you, I had lunch with him right after I came back and I wanted to talk about it. I was like, I, I, I wanted to tell him, I saw God like come over you. And I felt like that light that was coming over you. And I was just so grateful because without him, I wouldn't be here. Obviously, I would have been processed and in the morgue and in, in a grave somewhere. But because he listened to God, because he listened to that light, and that's why I call it the light after death. He listened to that light. I was so grateful. And I tried to express that to him. And he wouldn't, he, he wouldn't accept it. He, 
he just kept telling me that's just part of my job. I was just doing my job. I was just doing my job. And I'm like, no, you weren't actually, <laughs> if you were just doing your job, you would have just sat there and not did anything, but you did more than your job. You listened to God. And, um, I got a chance to meet with him. I got a chance to meet with one of the other medics and the other medics were like, he was like, you're an effing miracle, dude. Like he was, he was just going to town on me. Yeah. And I'm like, I know I am. And, and actually that's how I got in contact with him. The rookie is because I had to, I had to get his phone number from them to a sandwich place there in Utah, um, and had a sandwich. Um, and he wouldn't even let me buy lunch. I mean, that's who this guy is. He just, you know, he just, he felt like he was just doing his, doing, doing the right thing. And, and he didn't want to talk about the spirit part of it though. He would not talk about it. He just look at me and say, I don't want to talk about that. And, uh, and then I come around to it and I talk a little bit more and I try to bring it back up and he's like, I don't want to talk about it. And, you know, um, I just have so much love and respect for him, but not just for him, for anybody who is able to be that hero or that angel in someone else's life because they listened to the prompting from God. And that's what he did. Really, it's not this huge miracle he did. He just listened to the prompting and he acted. And, and that's one of the things I actually, I try to teach people is how to get a better connection with God so that that prompting is more regular so that you get that communication from God on a regular basis. And you can, you can act, you can be God's angels on earth. Um, and, and do what God wants you to do every single day, not just in the hero moments, but in the little hero moments, you know, and, in, in helping in little ways. And, and sometimes that's even just as miraculous as these big ways of bringing someone back from the dead. Well, and he is a hero because he took a risk to act on that. He could have lost his, could have lost his job. Yeah, absolutely. He could have lost his job. And, and here he was the first week and, you know, funny turn of events, uh, when I did have lunch with him, he told me he had just passed his fire test. So um, he last I heard, he is a fireman now. So um, still, still kind of in that uh, you know savior type job where he's out saving lives. Cool. But uh, he's a fireman now. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, my last question: something that you alluded to just a couple of minutes ago. I'm wondering because you've had this experience. Does it make living here on earth easier or more difficult? Way more difficult, way more difficult. And um, this is not just for me, anybody who's had the experience like I've had where they got to see heaven and experience heaven. um, Life here is really, really rough. Even on your best day, it's still nothing compared to the, your worst day there. Your worst day there is just still absolute bliss and amazing beauty and just so full of love. Now, um, I have a lot to live for here though. You know, I have, I have my amazing family. I've got two absolutely amazing kids. And, um, so I've got a lot to live for, but it's still really hard. It is, it's very hard. And I'm not going to be, you know, dishonest about that at all. I'm very authentic about it. Um, and authenticity is extremely important to me now since my experience. So, um, to be honest, yeah, absolutely. It's very hard, actually. Vinny Tolman, thank you so very much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on. And, and you know, if, if anybody can get anything from this, I would love to help them understand that, that that love that God showed me is not just for me. It's not. It's for all of us. That That God really, really loves all of us exactly how we are, exactly how we are. Not who we're going to be 
not who we want to be, but exactly how we sit right now. God loves us, really, really loves us. And God wants a relationship with us. So if at all possible, reach out to God. God's already there, wants to wants to have that strong relationship with us. Just know that He loves you and, and wants to be a part of our lives, all of our lives. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll share this message with family and friends. To be notified when the next episode goes live, follow the show on your podcasting app or click over to roundtripdeath.com and sign up for our email newsletter. Until then, I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life and the next. Music